If you have a strong data privacy policy, it's going to have a direct impact on customer loyalty. Hello, my name's Graham Hunt. I'm a director in Capgemini. I cover work within financial services, principally around regulations and data privacy. We're here today to talk about the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. And with me, I have my colleague, Patricia. Patricia, would you like to say hello? Oh, hello. Yes, I'm Patricia Evans. I work in the insights and data part of the business. I'm a senior technical consultant, and I have a specific interest in privacy and the GDPR and have been working on projects in that area for some while. Great. Thanks very much, Patricia. Well, 25th of May, we're about there. So, Patricia, do you think we're ready? I'm afraid we're nowhere near ready. Um, So the short answer is no. But um, this is a variable answer across different parts of um, the businesses that we know and the sectors. Um, So perhaps there are 12% of businesses who are fully ready and and know that. And it probably gets up to about half if you um, include the businesses who think they've done enough um, that they would only have minor exceptions if they had an audit. So maybe half of businesses are ready. Um, but there's probably a quarter who think it's going to take at least three months to, to finish all the work they have on. And there's at least a quarter who will still be working on this at the end of 2018 and possibly beyond. Um, so I think this is something which is going to need quite a lot of attention for the rest of this year and, and well into next year. Um, and it varies across countries as well. Some countries are better prepared than others. And this might reflect the fact that not all data protection legislation has actually gone through yet. So some countries are waiting for their local data protection acts to be passed so that they know what the detail is for some of the country-specific stuff. That's that's interesting to hear. You say that some are going to be ready, some are not going to be ready. Uh, A lot have got work that's going off after the May deadline. What's the sort of thing that you think that's missing? Uh, Well, if you look at some of the big areas... Um, data discovery has been a huge challenge for lots of businesses. They have huge systems and they hold lots and lots of data. And just finding it all and cataloging it has been a huge challenge. Um, There's also been a lot of work needed and being done on the consent and rights management. And you would have seen that. You would have received, I don't know how many emails from people asking you to reconfirm consent for marketing or business activities with them. And, and so that area also um, is incomplete in many cases, but work has been done. So it's all started. And then you could probably say you've got a similar problem with assurance. People have been so busy on this sort of first run through getting it in place that they haven't really thought about long term assurance of compliance and how they're going to validate it over time. Um, and if you're looking at companies as a whole, um, you could probably say that the public bodies are in general worse prepared than private ones. So less than 50% of the public bodies have completed what they need to do in these three key areas. So there are big gaps. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, sure. Just a, just, a, a, just a backup on that point that you just made there. I've heard from some organizations that have been working on GDPR for well over two years, and yet I've also been contacted by operations, both public public and private, who haven't really started at all. Um, but a lot of this has been around, I suppose, you know, what people have to do to, to make the regulation. Do you see things there which uh, can be of benefit 
for organisations in being compliant with GDPR? Um, yes, I think we can see a lot of benefits around GDPR. Um, I think what we often hear discussed, what people start from, um, are the risk and the, the problem of the penalties and fines that can be applied after May the 25th. So people have talked a lot about the fact that the, the penalties go up to 4% of global turnover. And I think this has been really important in getting funding for projects. So it's not surprising that it's been talked about a lot. Um, but the losses actually are much higher in some cases than the fines. So the regulator isn't necessarily going to apply high fines. But when you look at the information that TalkTalk Talk have released from their data breach, the fine was half a million pounds. But the cost to the company and their reputational loss, and when they added up all the lost business, they have been quoted as saying they lost up to 42 million. So that's far in excess of the fine. So that area of avoiding risk and avoiding compliance costs is really important to people. But let's talk about some positive benefits, um, because there are many. If you have a strong data privacy policy, it's going to have a direct impact on customer loyalty. If the customers know you're serious about protecting privacy, then they're more likely to stay with you. And if there is a breach, and it may not be your fault, it may be a, a cyber attack from some malicious party, then you are better protected if your customers believe that you've done everything you can and you take it very seriously. Um, we've actually done some work on different kinds of customers. And I don't think you can imagine that all your customers are average or the same or one size fits all or the way you personally feel about data is, is going to be reflected in everybody else. You're probably talking about less than half of people are completely indifferent to privacy matters. So they think it, there's nothing to do about it and it doesn't matter. And they're not particularly bothered. They're quite happy to have their private life on Facebook and they are happy that anyone can read it. But there's probably a chunk of about 35% who expect you to be compliant with data privacy requirements and are looking for you to confirm that. And there's a very significant number, about a fifth, who put a premium on privacy. Um, we've, we've been calling them data rights advocates. Um, they show extreme loyalty if they're confident in you and will focus spend with you. But they are extremely punitive if you get it wrong. So you lose that one fifth of your client base quite quickly and permanently if you're seen to be um, very cavalier with their data. So they, they will give you a, um, an advantage if you can keep them because they will um, propose your company to other companies, to their friends and their network. So they will support you, um, but you will lose them if you don't treat them fairly in terms of their data. So there's a lot to be earned around them. Um, I think longer term, if I can just go on a bit, Graham. <laughs> that some of the other benefits are, are going to emerge over time. Um, when companies implement their retention policies, as they're now doing, and they get rid of older records, incomplete records, and records that relate to people who ha no longer have any interest with your company, then they're going to have a much better set of data to direct their marketing. And, and they will be able to direct marketing towards individuals who've expressed an interest rather than this sort of scattergun effect we're used to. Um, we're going to have to wait and see quite how that affects marketing departments and marketing um, targets and so on. But I, I think they're going to have to change from counting the number of people you've contacted and, and getting better about measuring fit and focus 
and making sure campaigns are more targeted. And that will have a bit of a change in how people collect data and how they build up these client lists. I think it's going to be very interesting. Yeah, that, well, that, that's, th- thank you very much for that. I mean, I think some of the things you said there about almost the segmentation of customers out there, you, know, you mentioned there, I think, data advocates. I mean, that's sort of born out of a, a report as well that Capgemini, uh, our company, has produced called Seizing the GDPR Advantage. It makes a very interesting read. And, and it's clear also from that that the people who are in that most interested about how their data is used is, is definitely a growing population, certainly more prevalent amongst the young the young rather than the old, and that's probably not surprising. Um, but but it obviously shows that it's something that companies are going to have to increasingly take more more interest in, and show that they care about it. W- would you agree, Patricia? Oh, I think so, and I think we we can actually see some of the evidence because um, the the big delete Facebook campaign on Twitter a few months ago. I think that was driven by that sector and, and among the young in particular. And although it, it may not have led to a vast percentage of people deleting Facebook, it did have a big impact on the way people feel about the company. And I, I think on the converse side, if you look at the reputations of Apple and even WhatsApp for protecting the privacy of their users and standing up to both the cyber criminals and the government organizations who want to use the data, that's done them a lot of positive good um, in terms of people realizing that they take privacy very seriously. And I I think there's been a lot of debate when Facebook bought WhatsApp, what they were actually buying, because WhatsApp's reputation was built on encryption and privacy. And Facebook bought them because they wanted to get at the user base and the data. So I think that hasn't really finished playing out. But that is a very interesting um, challenge between the need for the data and the need for privacy. Yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot more to play out in that space. And that perception by the public on what Facebook had done, you know, at the end of the day, affected the bottom line for Facebook as well. I mean, the, there were billions wiped off the, uh, the value of Facebook as a result of that. Not so much because of the, uh, necessarily the direct impact, but the fact that you saw people talking about log, uh, coming out of Facebook and also advertisers leaving uh, the organization as well because of that perception. Uh, perception's a big thing, um, uh, without a doubt. I don't know if you saw yesterday's evening standard, but Facebook took out the back page advert, full page, to encourage people to go and check their privacy settings. It was a very simple advert, but it just said, you can go and check your privacy settings and get them set up the way you want on, on the evening standard in London. So I thought that was impressive. And simple simple things like that will drive people more into that data advocacy space because people will be more aware about the impacts, I guess. Yes, and I think they will be looking for best practice. So I think there's a lot of work to be done by people. They've done their first pass-through things. They've got manual systems in place. They've done their first set of consents and privacy statements and so on. Uh, but I think as best practice emerges, if if you want to be seen as being a, a privacy advocate and good, you, you've probably still got work to do to incorporate best practice into what you're doing um, and maybe updating the way consent is collected as we work out what fits best and what suits those different sectors of the market best so that they can do business with you in confidence. Graham, I'm, I'm going to ask you um, a bit more about the report because 
we've been dealing at, like with the penalties and compliance and so on with GDPR as a mandate, um, where obviously all companies in Europe will, will have to obey the law. So they have this minimum requirement. But how can they shift from just meeting the minimum legal requirement to actually giving themselves a competitive advantage? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. I think there are a number of ways. I mean, we've already talked about the fact that uh, there will be a growing awareness of people, uh, the general public, about the value of their data. And, and indeed, we're seeing interesting trends now with uh, there are organizations such as Citizen Me, uh, where people can actually invest their data with uh, organizations such as that, who will then offer you the opportunity to sell that data, consciously sell that data, uh, for a few pounds here, for a few pounds there. And marketers value that because it's willingly given accurate information compared to what they often receive. But what it does also is, again, create that feeling of value in the data that people uh, have, possess about themselves. So organizations that, that get a handle uh, on that growing trend and are able to better effectively manage the personal information that they have about organizations will gain greatly uh, in terms of public perception, but also how they use that data as well in a compliant way. Taking that report, uh, one of the, the best examples uh, is, is John Lewis's. Now, for those who might be outside the UK, John Lewis's is a retail organization principally but has a very high standing and reputation within the organization within within the UK market, uh, and as a result, uh, people expect it first of all to to deal with data uh, sensitively. But equally, John Lewis's see that as a, an extremely useful uh, mechanism to build upon that and differentiate themselves further in the market. If you look at what their uh, DPO, Steve Wright, said about the, the level of communication that they have done and used GDPR as an opportunity to, to get that, to, to build that advantage, is staggering. Certainly from their point of view, it is not a penalty. It is an opportunity which they're using for competitive advantage. You've mentioned communication. Um, so obviously, is that internal or is it out, you know, is it employees or customers that they concentrate on? And are there other things that they've done that, that may just begin to show us what good practice is going to be like in future? Sure. So, uh, so two questions there. I think, uh, so the, the answer is, uh, both customers and employees and indeed others as well, because let's not, let's not forget there are supply chains here involving third parties too. Uh, these things, not talking more generally than John, than just John Lewis is here, more generally, uh, it's about, you know, making sure that the supplier information is accurate and correct. And there's often personal information contained within that as well. It equally applies there too. And maintaining those standards from the third parties that you may work with as well. So that holistically, what you provide, whether directly or indirectly, it is maintained to that high standard is something that people will value because they will see trust, they will see greater intimacy, they will see greater understanding. And uh, with that, uh, probably a chance of giving more consent for the use of that data. Again, look at Citizen Me, which I talked about before. They're actually able to pay you for the use of their data. And they, clearly, they don't do that as a charity. They get a cut too. There's immense opportunity 
for organizations that get that right. Control of personal information is key uh, and probably wider than that. If you've made the effort to master or manage that personal information, it probably has side effect, side benefits in terms of managing and mastering good practice, other data that an organization uh, can, can control. Yes, we've seen big improvements in, in corporate effectiveness just by doing data governance within them, making sure that the even the asset data and, and the product data that they hold is fit for purpose. And I, I think if we work on um, the personal data to meet these requirements, the skills and the um, understanding of that within businesses will go up and they may well see side benefits well clear of this area. Yeah, yes, I, I would agree with you there. And, and as I say, I don't think it's something that organizations can avoid. They may well be deferring what they do next for now. Let's see what the regulation says. Let's see how it, uh, sorry, is interpreted, should I say, or how uh, it rolls out within the courts as, as potentially cases come up or the fines start happening or the bad publicity comes out. They may be refining what they want to do uh, on the back of that because there's a bit of uncertainty as to how big an effect this is going to have. But at the end of the day, uh, as an American politician once said, there's nothing uh, more certain than death and taxes. Uh, what we will see here is uh, this growth in public perception about the value of their data. And let's not forget this also affects the misuse of data where there is maybe a security incident. Take Facebook as a good example. Talk, talk as others. There are many more. It's indisputable that the trend towards cybercrime is on the rise. That is likely to involve personal information. That is likely to mean more of our organizations are going to be in the headlines as a result of these breaches. And there's now a further penalty because of the, uh, the, the advent of GDPR. Well, I was just thinking that as companies realize that they want to take these opportunities, let's stay with the positive a little more. So they, they see, John Lewis setting a good example. They, they see other companies beginning to change their marketing approach and, and really leveraging the information they can now get with consent within the law. Um, how should they actually seize the opportunity? What do you think um, are going to be the ways forward for companies when they decide to move on this? So I think key one is that there's no uh, finishing line at the 25th of May 2018. It's an ongoing journey. Um, that it, uh, as we've stated, a number of organizations have, ha, are, are still on that journey. In fact, the majority are still on that journey. There are some, some who haven't even started who uh, need to start addressing that through this uh, as quickly as they can. But part of that on ongoing journey is to, is to try and deal with the opportunities that we, we've described so far, uh, using again, you know, the John Lewis as a, as an example in that. But indeed, there are other organizations to do that as well. So get, get the aspiration, align, align from a strategic point of view, what personal information means for you and how, how you can use that to develop, uh, not only compliance, uh, but, but advantage out of that without that longer term view and plan, which let's face it, if you've not, if you're not in quotes, fully compliant with GDPR or fully ready, uh, the regulators are likely to ask for anyway. If you've not got that vision, then, you know, as the old saying is, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up somewhere else. 
uh, and that's true in the GDPR sense. I think things like the surveys that have come out, such as the one from Capgemini, will help organizations and guide them in terms of what the, 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 the general perception is, uh, both amongst organizations and customers as well. Um, but they also need to then think about the areas of solutioning that they might need to do. Do we need to do more to master our personal information? How do we do that? How are the services that we do? I think what we've seen in a number of areas are very manual systems for this as well. People have set up spreadsheets to track um, impact assessments. They've set up spreadsheets to track the systems with as a result of data discovery. There are a few tools out there and there are existing tools that can be used in this area. Do you think we've seen um, the full tool set that we're going to get? Is it a mature space or do you think there are new offerings coming? And, and are you aware of any that we're about to see coming onto the market? So, yes. Uh, again, probably not mentioning names uh, for, for, for the purposes of this, but there are certainly uh, uh, emerging trends within the market. And I've, I've no doubt there'll be more development in this uh, space as we go. Certainly over the past two years, if you look, uh, the number of offerings uh, around GDPR has grown uh, exponentially. As always, there needs to be some care. You know, there's no gold, no, there's no silver bullet out there in terms of what organizations can do. But, but I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. Two, two organizations, not mentioning their names. One organization goes for the manual Excel approach in terms of trying to do uh, some form of baseline privacy impact assessment across the organization hires in a team of 60 people to do that over six months. Still not complete. Another organization of not dissimilar size brings in a tool set, set up a team of five, and essentially completes the exercise within two months. Now, those are maybe extremes, but it shows that picking up the right tool set, not following, if you like, traditional mechanisms of manipulating data by Excel can make a big difference if you get the, the tooling right. And there are numerous examples I know of. And Patricia, you probably yes. know some too. Yeah, and I, I think it's important that this should be efficiently managed and, and sustainable because it supports your real business purposes. I mean, obviously, we, we can find opportunities when we, we sort out our data, but really what you want is the confidence that this is running well for your business so you can concentrate on your strategic plan and your vision for your products and services. So you don't want this to become a mini industry within the business generating a lot of paperwork. Um, you really want it to be a supportive process generating insights with you know reporting on what they've discovered yeah so yes i totally agree with you I often speak to organizations and they're thinking about well what do i need to do in order to comply with gdpr or what tools will i need one, one of the other questions has to be well what have you got on the go at the moment because it may well be or what if what have you got in your state because often the tools are already there or elements of what you need to do for gdpr can be built into the initiatives and not only that that when you're looking at new projects, that the questions are there, not just from a privacy impact assessment point of view, but a privacy impact opportunity point of view. You know, what opportunity might there be in the way that we're looking to try and manage and use uh, uh, personal information uh, going forward as well? I think there's still a mindset, uh, as we've mentioned, to move from this idea of a need to comply to a need to seize the opportunity. 
So lots, lots to get on with and, and quite a few things we don't know yet. I think we're all holding our breath waiting for the regulators because I believe they will start to publish quite interesting guidance after the 25th and we will see the first improvement notices and challenges to companies where the regulators want to check how serious they are about this. It's going to be very interesting over the next few months. Absolutely. And I think it's probably worth our while uh, comparing our notes again at some point in the future, Patricia, to see how things are developing. Yes, it'll be really interesting because I'm really looking forward to to what we learn in the next six months. So just as a a final word, uh, Patricia, uh, thanks very much uh, for your time. Um, It's been very useful. I've enjoyed the conversation. Uh, uh, It would be good to to, uh, continue this at some point in the future as well to see how the market is is moving. Um, So I'd like to thank you, as I say, for your time. Uh, just to let those who are listening to this that I can be reached on link, LinkedIn, Graham Hunt at Capgemini. Uh, Patricia, if people are wanting to cap- contact you, how would they do that? I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm Patricia Evans and you'll find me, as, as Graham says, under Capgemini. Um, so I look forward to hearing what people think. Great. Thanks, everyone, for listening. 